I play basketball in the park every morning. I'm not any good at it. Standing five foot eight inches tall, I don't really have the physical tools, and I'm not especially athletic. Skill does develop through practice, but only very slowly. Here's the thing, though. When I go out and play basketball, I could make every shot if I stood next to the basket and shot layups. But where's the fun in that? I run around and chuck up three-pointers, try to make shots off one foot from the corner, and shoot from behind the backboard. I miss a lot of shots, but it's more fun that way. My shots at the park in the morning are, I think, a little bit like how John McPhee chooses topics to write books about. It's easy to shoot layups, and it's easy to write books about popular topics like World War II or Henry VIII. But McPhee chooses to instead shoot threes from half court. He writes books about esoteric, strange topics like orange production in Florida, or the Pine Barrens of South Jersey, or, as in The Founding Fish, about the history of shad fishing in America. Wild topics, I know. But here's the thing. McPhee never shoots a layup, but he makes all his shots. Listen in. For the Daily Princetonian, I'm Gabriel Bayer. You're listening to Bookish, a prospect podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about The Founding Fish by John McPhee. John McPhee is a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and essayist. He's been nominated for the Pulitzer four separate times and has written for The New Yorker since 1963, more than half of the magazine's existence, and has been the fairest professor of journalism at Princeton since 1974. He's taught and written for so long that his boss and the current editor-in-chief of The New Yorker, David Remnick, was a student of his back in the 80s. The Founding Fish was published in 2002 and is McPhee's 26th book and his 31st if you count anthologies and essay collections. He's published six more since then, bringing the grand total to 37. More books than years I've been alive, twice over. Now, I usually try to keep an even keel when it comes to the authors I review in this podcast. But John McPhee may be my favorite prose smith whom I've ever read. So, before we get into McPhee's history of shad fishing in the United States, indulge me, dear listener, and listen to some choice bits of prose from this book. The book begins somewhere between Henry David Thoreau and Homer. Quote, I hadn't been a shad fisherman all my days, McPhee writes. Only seven years on the May evening when this story begins in a john boat, flat and square, anchored in heavy current by the bridge in Lambertville, on the wall of the eddy below the fourth pier. Specificity, detail with rich and chewy prose, that is vintage McPhee. He uses the fewest words possible, and he never resorts to the fragment, that tool of sloppy writers, to make a concise sentence. He introduces dozens of characters throughout this book and does so with the skill of a journalist who's been writing since the Kennedy administration. Consider this introduction of Richard St. Pierre, 
a shad specialist, quote, trim six feet. He had closely cut hair, an intent, narrow face, a soft, low voice, and a contemplative manner. On top of this, Gilly is a knack for a great quote and follows that great aphorism of the journalist. Always keep the tape running. And McPhee is a bit like Montaigne in that he will always follow a tangent for however long he likes. At one point near the end of the book, once he's let the reader get used to this meta-conversational style, he even writes explicitly, quote, if I may digress for a few paragraphs, before talking about his parents' house and the shad he ate there. Indeed, John, I say every time. Please digress. Also, in a turn of events that gave me great pleasure after the previous episode of this podcast about the footnote, this book is absolutely devoid of them. There's lots and lots of well-researched information about Shad, but the reader just has to believe McPhee. There are no footnotes. You're not really meant to learn from this book. You're not meant to read it as a researcher. This isn't a book of history. It's creative nonfiction. You're meant to enjoy it. McPhee expects a lot of his readers. His prose is sparse. His content is esoteric. His references are non-existent. There's a whole chapter about shad spawning. You'd think that at the end of this chapter, he would add some narrative or connect it to a larger theme in some way. But here's the last sentence of this chapter. Quote, In the science, a new young fish that survives the trip downriver and emerges into the ocean to join the adult school is known as a recruit. Did that line strike a chord with you? Sure didn't with me. McPhee gives you nothing to work off. No footholds in sight. And even so, although McPhee expects so much, reading him seems to require so little. Consider this passage about shad fishing, from only the second page of the book. Quote, Shad don't exactly strike. First, there's a fixed moment, a second or two when you feel what appears to be a snag and might be. Then the bottom of the river seems to move as if you are tied to a working trampoline. Then you start thinking five, six points, big fillets in the broiler, the grained savor of lemonade row. But now this little buck shad, two and a half points, takes off across the river, flies into the air, and struts around on his tail. And then he leaps again. Now, I don't know anything about shad fishing, and after reading this passage, and even this whole book, I still don't but I had a hell of a time not learning anything. McPhee makes all his shots. McPhee is an expert at writing on expertise. Many of his books, articles, and essays are about those who are the very best at what they do. He writes in this book about a shad expert called Sam Chapman, who could tell the time by how the fish were swimming. The fish started, quote, burst speed swimming, and Chapman said, I'm guessing it must be five o'clock. Indeed, McPhee writes, it was 4.55. McPhee's got a knack for expertise like this. 
Consider, for instance, his first book called A Sense of Where You Are, a profile of Princeton basketball star Bill Bradley. The book's based on a New Yorker article he wrote. McPhee describes one of Bradley's practices he watched. He got off to a bad start, and he kept missing shots. Six in a row hit the back over the basket and bounced out. He stopped, looking discomfited, and seemed to be making an adjustment in his mind. Then he went up for another jump shot from the same spot and hit it cleanly. Four more shots went in without a miss, and then he paused and said, You want to know something? That basket's about an inch and a half low. Some weeks later, I went back to the gym with a steel tape and borrowed a stepladder and measured the height of the basket. It was nine feet, ten and seven-eighths inches above the floor, or one and one-eighth inches too low. McPhee's skill is skill. His talent is talent. I should note that McPhee's not an expert himself on fishing. Part of the narrative of the book is how McPhee gets better at shad fishing throughout. At the beginning, he's fishing with a friend who's much better than him. Quote, I imitate him as precisely as I can. He hooks fish. I hook water. And McPhee gets better by the end. But even then... McPhee's still not much good as a fisherman. But most writers, and I say this from personal experience, will write until their pens run dry about stuff they could never do themselves. McPhee is no exception. Like many of McPhee's books, The Founding Fish uses a braided narrative, where the technical information is woven in and around the personal narrative. For instance, in the first chapter, he gives a 200-odd word description of the appearance of shad. It's very specific and scientific, using words like chemical analysis, pectoral fins, and adipose eyelids. Then, there's a page break, and we're right back to the narrative, like you heard from the beginning of the book. There's lots of specific ichthyology terms, then, all of a sudden, quote, When the fish had been on my line 40 minutes, dusk had began to gather. Creative nonfiction. He's doing both at once. This braiding happens several times in the book, both within chapters and between chapters. There's a chapter in the middle of the book all about the complicated history of shad fishing in colonial America. Now, I'll spare you the exact details because creative nonfiction works a whole lot better in a 300 page book than in a 20 minute podcast, but there's a quotation that sums up that chapter pretty well. Quote, by 1748, when you sat down to high tea in Philadelphia, you could almost count on being offered a plate of pickled shad. McPhee in this chapter digs deep into just how abundant shad fishing was in colonial America and how it affected the development of commerce in Philadelphia, the 1777 winter at Valley Forge, and even the building of Mount Vernon. But then, in the next chapter, McPhee makes a total U-turn writing a whole chapter that's just about his own adventures in canoe fishing. The chapter after that is back to the science about the environmental effects of shad fishing. Then, McPhee writes about his own personal failures as a fisherman. You could call this book an essay collection, just a period of unrelated, disparate essays that all happen to be about shad. But I think it's more complicated and better than that. The extremely technical fish talk and the extremely casual fishing talk live next to each other, together in the same book. 
They both accentuate and intensify the other. This book is a gestalt, greater than the sum of its parts. With a book like this, it's difficult to say if there's any moral to the story. McPhee seems to scoff at us trying to learn anything from this book. I told you earlier there aren't any footnotes in this book. If you try to look at the back and find endnotes, you will indeed be greeted by an appendix. But that appendix does not contain endnotes, a bibliography, or even selected sources. The appendix is a short collection of recipes on how to cook shad. And maybe if there is a theme of the founding fish, it's about eating shad. If it's not a theme, it's at least a pattern. It begins early in the book. I asked Ivy Bradley if he ate shad roe. Salted real good, he said, and wrapped in bacon, and wrapped in wax paper, deep fried. It almost seems that McPhee gets distracted by the smell of tasty fish wafting into his mind when he talks about shad too much. Writing about catching shad with Sam Chapman, he lets his appetite run away with him. You hook, land, and pocket six or seven, and as soon as you can, saute them in butter. You cook the whole four-inch fish, head on, scales on, fins intact, and that's what you eat, innards and outards, head and tail. McPhee later quotes Thad Norris, who wrote in 1864, quote, Shad is considered by many the most delicious fish that can be eaten. Who can forget the delicate flavor and juicy sweetness of a fresh shad, boiled or planked, hot from the fire, opened, salted and peppered, and spread lightly with fresh may butter? Eating shad as a societal exercise, it takes a long time. In Washington County, Maine, and elsewhere, McPhee writes, when people say you've been eating shad, they mean you're late. I told you earlier about how ubiquitous shad were in Philadelphia and how important they were to colonial America, and that's still true. Shad are still caught in droves all over the East Coast and still eaten by many families across the East Coast, too. And maybe that's something like the theme of the book. It's a basic human practice to eat together. At our core, we break bread together. We eat buttered fish together. I think that's indeed something that McPhee was getting at in the book. But I think the message is bigger than that. When George Mallory was asked in 1924 why he wanted to climb Mount Everest, he said, because it's there. I think McPhee's reason to write this book was similar. McPhee doesn't have any real motive to write the book. Shad aren't interesting. But they sure are there. And that's why McPhee wrote the book. They're there. Even through the sections about how Shad affected colonial America, they don't have any real special significance. They happen to be there, so we fish for them. And so we eat them. McPhee quotes Fred Lewis in the book, quote, I don't care what theory you develop on Shad. 
the shad will prove you wrong. Dad always said, you don't know what's out there until you put your net in the water. The Founding Fish is McPhee's best attempt to do just that. Not to make a theory on Shad, but to put his net in the water. McPhee writes in the book about a fish he caught in the Delaware, and what would have happened if he hadn't caught it. It's one very long, very beautiful sentence. Reading it, it feels like the book. Quote, Had I not interfered, she would have gone up to the little beaver kill, jumped that waterfall, jumped the Catskill Divide, swam up the Hudson to Lake Champlain and down the Richelieu River to Montreal, got up the Ottawa to Lake Nipissing and down the French River into Lake Huron and across Superior and up the Pigeon River and onto the Lake of the Woods and Lake Winnipeg and Reindeer Lake and Lake Athabasca and the Great Slave Lake, doing the Matthew Portage in a heavy rain, and down the Mackenzie to the Rat and up the Rat to the Porcupine and then the Porcupine to the Yukon River, and down the Yukon River to the Bering Sea. Similarly, the book keeps going, rolling wherever McPhee would like, meandering back and forth between the technical and the narrative. Later, McPhee writes about what his mind is like when he's fishing. Quote, Under the metronomic motions, you argue with yourself and with others, in dialogue that rises through the mind on contradictory vectors. You remember things you've read. You will look them up later. This rocking, oscillating book is something like a fish moving back and forth on the line, or like a fisherman's mind, wandering while he waits for a bite. The book doesn't get anywhere, or prove anything. It doesn't teach you anything, and if you want to learn something from this book, you can look it up later. It's just fishing. Who cares if anything bites? I went fishing for 300 pages with McPhee, and I will gladly do it again. This podcast was written and recorded by me, Gabriel Bear, and was produced under the 145th Managing Board of the Daily Princetonian. It was edited by Cammy Lee and produced by Franny Block, with production help from Isabel Rodriguez. Have a book you want us to review or want to talk about a previous episode? Send us an email at podcast at dailyprincetonian.com. For the Daily Princetonian, this has been Bookish. Have a great day, and keep reading.